0: Welcome to the CTO Studio. This week I talked to Sergei Sundukowski, CTO, CPO, advisor, mentor type person, founded a company, co-founded a company called uh, Raken, and we just have a great conversation about uh, the formula of startups and how to manage and keep healthy development teams. So enjoy. Well, I
1: have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It, it looks something like this.
0: Welcome to the CTO Studio. I'm your host, Etienne de Bruyne. The CTO Studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Sergei Sundovsky?
1: That's that's close, close enough.
0: enough. I just had it right though.
1: Yeah, you had it right a couple of minutes what ago. What
0: is it? Sandikovsky. Sandikovsky. Welcome to the CTO studio. Even though we're not at home, we're in LA. Do you Thank- live in
1: LA? Uh no, I live in Orange County.
0: Okay. Whereabouts?
1: Um I live in Irvine.
0: Okay. But your startup, Raken, is based in Carlsbad?
1: Uh yes. It's in Carlsbad and it's- close enough to uh, San Diego and I'm more or less centrally positioned to uh, to go uh, any place I want in LA and uh, go to San Diego. So
0: tell us about Raken because I I love the people you're serving and the solutions you're providing.
1: All right, well what can I tell you about Raken? For all intents and purposes, Reagan is a field management solution. And if that sounds too too esoteric, I'm going to Going to break that down. So um, we service construction industry. So if you could think of a, you could think of you building a ten story building. For all intents and purposes, you're basically need to keep track of what's going on on the job construction site on the daily basis. Superintendents and job foremen, which is basically people who are supervising the activities.
0: Sounds like a logistical
1: nightmare. It definitely is a logistical nightmare, especially if you don't keep track of things accurately. And you usually realize that there are issues when, when you're off, off target, when you're not on time, not on target, and especially if something happens, because you can get sued up to 10 years from completion of the project.
0: And so are you saying that uh, companies that use Raycon would be able to predict completion dates based there, on...
1: There's certainly some predictability aspect to it. We present a dashboard, and we see how you're tracking against uh, against your schedule. If you've ever been on the job construction side, um, uh, job constru- the construction projects hold together are broken down into roughly into three uh, three separate buckets and three separate buckets of activities. There's a lot of prep time that you have to do for the project, and if you've been on the job construction side. You go to the trailer and you will see an enormous Gantt chart, and it will tell you when things are, what you need to do in order for you to kick off the project. Then there is a project uh, building stage, and then there is a transition stage. So we definitely service uh, the building stage and the completion and the transition stage. During the building phase of the project, you basically need to make sure you're on you're Mm. on time, and Mm. so things go back to the trailer and you check things against the. The Gantt chart and make sure that things need don't need to be adjusted and, uh, and you're on time.
0: Do you, so is it basically? Can one say it's project management software for construction projects with field tools and,
1: tele, and, and That's that's exactly right. The different approach that Reagan has taken. <clears throat> normally, construction projects are driven from that from that trailer. They're driven from the office, right? So that you can roughly split it between. Field management and what occurs on the on the daily basis on the job construction side, and what occurs in the office. So typically, and you can imagine that's pretty logical, other industries are in a similar way. The project gets conceived in the office and then gets planned out in the office. But what Raiken has taken a different approach. We basically, we service the field. We allow the field workers to do what they need to do to keep track of activities, because they would rather, if things are too complicated for them, they would rather mm. do nothing mm. than uh, than use a complicated piece of and
0: software. And is that is that a challenge for Rakon to get field workers to use the app? Because you've got to take your phone out of your pocket, right?
1: You have to take your phone out of your pocket, but that's uh, that that subset of the time that it would otherwise take you to document things, because because project managers they do insist that you document what happens. So most of the time in the absence of Reagan you would have to you would have to sit down for 2 hours at the end of the day mm. and document what occurs mm. and then do a tear out of a journal and you would pass it on to the office and they would staple it to a large binder and that that's where it, hmm. where it would sit and only time when you would open it up it's either when you're not on time or 5 years after you completed the building a pipe has burst and you're now facing you're in the uh, you're against the working end of the lawsuit and you need to figure out what to do and otherwise, and then you drudge up the documentation and you see it's insufficient and you lose. Crazy.
0: Can I put my next software project in Reichen?
1: Uh Absolutely. <laughs> we're not targeting the <laughs> software development. It's a whole different area, but uh, if you were so inclined, you could. But we, we're staying more or less myopically focused. Uh, yeah, we... Huh you know we're in service to the construction industry and we feel that that's where we're most suited.
0: How did that happen? Uh how did you come up with the idea and do that?
1: I was uh I was a late stage co-founder for the company so the idea was not mine. It was uh Kyle Slager who was uh who's the founder, not was. He is the founder of Raken. Now, as you know, ideas typically come from two different sources. So either you've been in the industry forever and uh then you figure out that you know, there must be a better way to do a particular thing. So you just tell yourself, 10 years from now, I'm going to start my own business and you do it. So they come from industry insiders. Sometimes they do come from the industry outsiders. And typically that happens. 99% of the cases where you ask, why do you do things a certain way? There's a logical reason. But then there's that 1% where... You know, it's just how it's always been done. So there's a set of limiting beliefs, and if you've been in the industry for a very long time, that's what happens. You have a set of limiting beliefs, and uh, and you just you just don't see a better way. And uh, Kyle, Kyle, with the, um, working on several projects, not on construction projects, but he's dead as a large general contractor. And when he saw that there's an efficiency in terms of uh, documentation. Uh, it was the kernel of the idea, and that's how it got kicked off.
0: Okay, and can you can you help me understand as a CTO with sort of a rich history in software development, management, leadership, and I think a few CTO positions before this yeah. one? How did you what what checklist did you have in your brain that said okay, I as CTO, I would like to join this this startup?
1: Absolutely. So I approached this. Um, I met Kyle through um through a common acquaintance um, one year into my earnout from a sale of a previous company to Capital One so i i knew at certain point in, you know how it is you you sell the company and and you make you you have some choices to make i had a two year earnout and after a year i knew i was going to go do another startup so you have several choices you can either join an existing startup you can you can start up something of your own, or you can, like I said, you, or you could, you could join somebody else, or, or basically stay with a corporate job. I decided not to stay with a corporate job, and through the introduction, um, it started out as you know the old adage: ask for advice, get money; ask for money, get advice. And uh, so I initially it started out as sort of an advising thing, but we started working together um, initially in an advising capacity. And as soon as I, as soon as I exited. Uh, Capital One. At the end of my earnout, I joined as a CTO. My my approach, though, to the since I do a lot of mentoring through incubators and accelerators, some uh, anchor mentor for Google, I see a lot of startups, and I worked out a system for myself in terms of how do I judge. And the system is not any different than you would have for any any investor out there. Now uh, you look at the you look at the idea, and you look at the you look at the market and you make sure that people who are involved with the uh, with the company has a tr- have a track record of execution and all of those check boxes uh checked for me and, and so this wasn't this wasn't a difficult decision. So like I said, I approached it as an investor would I also I also go far beyond what the what the CTO how, uh, far beyond um CTO capabilities. So I I analyze things from a product perspective and I I also assume the product um product position as well and as well as as well as some of the reach into marketing so my idea and kind of understanding of the market initially was pretty nascent but then over time I kind of built up uh, expertise um, in the construction industry and the rest is history
0: Mm, and uh, at Raken you're also the chief product officer right that's right I love companies where the CTO is also responsible for the product
1: and to me CTO um, there's a lot of misunderstanding what the CTO is supposed to do a lot of people call CTOs they are not really CTOs they are lead developers you know how companies get started it's you know if it's a, if it's a tech guy or and a business guy you know can you do the development great oh, okay when you're a CTO now okay but but that's not the role of the CTO role of the CTO is to know love and understand the product right if you if you are CTO of the company and you don't don't understand the product, you don't understand the market, you're you're definitely missing 90% of the job.
0: You can, however, learn to love the market, right? It's just the responsibility of of embracing the customer that you're building products for lies on you. And I think many times I see CTOs who say, well, they're not doing a good job of giving us enough guidance, whether it be sure. product or marketing and I think in many cases, in almost all those cases, I would say to the CTO, "Hey, it's really your responsibility to embrace and own what the company is trying to do."
1: Absolutely. So if you look at, and it also comes a lot of times from the founders who've been from the from the industry where you're building the startup. So you you have you have this kind of innate hubris that we know better, we know what to build. They just don't know, and we're as soon as we build, they'll see they'll see that there is a better way. Kyle and I didn't have that because we were not from the industry. So we basically, it's it's absolutely mm. a customer-driven company. We'll listen, we'll listen to the customers and uh, we, we absolutely feature number one. And this is, we say this all the time, feature number one of our product is simplicity, right? And uh, it's just, we won't compromise on that. And we will take as many iterations as it needs to be in order for product to be as simple as it possibly mm. can be.
0: How different is the product today from what it was when you started out?
1: Product product is quite different. So when I just started out, it was just a daily reporting. So in other words, only thing you could really do is on, uh, do a work log and also uh, produce a report on the daily basis. Then we, we expanded, we added a viral loop and the viral component to the application where it not only... If you're building large projects, there's only twenty percent of the project itself that you self perform as a general contractor. Then you have lots of subcontractors. They come onto the project at different stages because mm. you know, you're you're building things, but mm. then you need a you need a roofer and a tiler, right? So they don't they don't need to be on the project for a very long time. But when they do, you need to keep track of things and things get even more complicated. So we added that component, and then we basically repositioned ourselves from daily reporting to a field management solution. We added more workflows, like time tracking, and that's one of our one of the features that we added throughout the years. So it's it's not just a feature; it's another workflow, and you can consider that a separate product. And we're also getting into uh, safety management, which is yet another workflow for construction. So it's becoming from fairly myopic. A uh, field managed, um, fairly myopic daily reporting into a field management solution.
0: The but from the beginning, your idea was let's leverage the power of a mobile phone. That's right to gather data. Um, so I'm interested in this viral component to bring in the subcontractors. How did you do that?
1: It's realizing how the market is broken down. So if you look at <clears throat> if you look at the market itself. There's about 21% of the general contractors, and there's about 79% of the subcontractors. Interestingly enough, this is exactly how it breaks out in terms of the job. There's 20% you self-perform and 80% somebody else performs it. So if you look at the from the decisioning point of view, general contractor typically makes a decision in terms of the software we're going to use to track the project, right? Because they're the ones who are responsible. They're the neck to choke for the delivery. But at the same time, they have lots of subcontractors. Now, the subcontractors, if once introduced to the solution, they want once um, they have to use it. But if they like it, they go on onto different projects, not necessarily with this particular uh, general contractor. They but, carry that spark, yeah. and that's the viral component. And, and this is and this you, seeing that we definitely seen that. So we we saw linear growth. That's awesome. We saw linear growth in terms of general contractors. <clears throat> Um, but then we saw exponential growth in terms of the subcontractors. The reason reason for that is exactly the viral loop where they get invited and they they just end up keeping the solution for so themselves. So if I subcontract
0: on job A I come into the Reikon ecosystem. That's right. And I go to job site B where the GC is not aware of Reikon. Is there sort of that uh, upstream halo effect? That's
1: exactly the halo effect that happens with the the subcontractors. They become aware. um, They're aware now of the solution, and so they push it from the bottom up. And this is how we see the adoption is actually happening. For some of our... Smaller clients, even for the lar- uh, from the larger client's perspective, a lot of the adoption happens from the bottom up, very similar to what you would see with video conferencing solution. You and I decide to communicate uh, via video conferencing. You pick it, I pick it, and then we both like it. Then we tell, hey, boss, man, can you get it for us? That's exactly how it happens in this particular case. You You have general contractors, and they oh. basically pick it up, they... They like it uh, from the field perspective. They push the office to purchase um, either an enterprise license or the license for the for the entire company, and then the viral loop kicks in. Where I, within my own uh, company, a general contractor invites other superintendents and job foremen that are. Uh, remember, I said ten-story building. That's 10, 10 subcontra uh, ten. Uh, superintendents they're responsible for each floor so that's 10 seats on the solution so they they tell others they tell their peers and they also tell their subcontractors
0: now a superintendent is
1: in service to the GC right superintendent usually works for the GC superintendent is basically it's like a manager it's a manager of the crew but they're right there on the field
0: and so your buyer is the, the the
1: general contracting company hopefully that's right General contractor is a buyer. Sometimes we have subcontractors who are buyers as well. If they're if they're very big or they've been introduced uh, Mm. to to Raken through the viral component. Mm. But but we we target we specifically target people in the field because this what saves them time. And I said yeah. But at the same time, all the consumption of the data and all the all the reporting gets pushed into the office. So the project manager and the project engineer who works on that project. Can be assured that things are on time. I see a delicious infection, (laughs) right? I everybody loves the viral loop. This is where the multiple goes up significantly, right? If you if your acquisition, if your customer acquisition, look at Slack. Look at every company that would be considered a unicorn. They have that viral loop, right? Where where you don't have to do anything as a company to get to get additional customers.
0: Now, was the viral loop something that you were aware of going into Rekan or was it something that manifested itself in a couple months or years later?
1: I certainly wasn't aware of the dynamic because I didn't know the industry very well, mm. but as soon as but as soon as I got to know the industry and also we 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 have people from the industry in the company um our product director is is of the industry, so he he knows the industry very mm. well. So he was he was responsible for getting our IQ up on the construction industry altogether. And when we discovered, obviously, I was aware of the viral loop and how how does that happen, and how does the company go from from a service company to a SaaS company to a viral loop company where it's. Where it's a completely different multiple for the company. So obviously, I'm always in search of it, but I wasn't aware of it uh, before going into it.
0: So who who in Raeken would you say is the strong has the strongest voice of customer right now? Since you have a product director, your CPO, mm-hmm.
1: what the the strongest voice of the customer? It's it's customer success or or and or sales. So our customer. I, w- I would consider there's, there's really two legs to this business. It's the land, which is basically get the customer and expand. Expand is the customer success portion of our business. Uh, we're a sales-driven company. So in other words, sales needs to touch every customer in order to close the deal. But once they do, we rely on these customers expanding within the, mm. within the company. So if our software is not good, then the expansion component, if it doesn't happen, then the churn happens and the entire business doesn't work. So our customer success is one of the key components of the business. And in fact, our NPS score ranges between uh, between 70 to 80. That's iPhone territory. I've never heard of an application, especially a B2B application, to be in that range, but for us it's absolutely crucial otherwise the business doesn't work
0: i saw one of your marketing video success stories on linkedin yesterday or
1: that's right we publish qu- quite a few studies it's good and work, man. Uh, we do account account based marketing and we have lots of customers that are just happy to tell what Reagan has done for them how
0: how do you handle disagreements between yourself or in the c suite or with your product people around the roadmap and the direction so I'm assuming that you have situations where sales would say to you, if only we had X, we could Mm -hmm. do Y. Um, How do you stay true to the roadmap? And how do you sort of keep the tribe focused and sort of harmony, especially when there is strong disagreement about uh, what could help the the, the customer base grow?
1: Gotcha. So that's a really good question because that gets into a uniqueness of Reagan and uniqueness of our culture. Um most of the most of the cultures you see out there are kind of table stakes cultures which is basically you need to be respectful to your to your coworkers and don't come naked to work. So that that sort of thing. But to me that's just table stakes, right? So <laughs> you uh you you know you this that's is just what you common would, sense. This is just common sense. This is what you would expect from people on on the street. So we we basically, we developed a set of guiding and operating principles. And if you look at our culture, our culture is really not our values. Culture is our actions. And our actions are really all about conflict resolution, is what do you do when conflict arises? Well, you, you want to do one thing, I want to do another. And how do we reconcile? So a lot of you know, general wisdom would, uh, would dictate that the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But that's actually almost never the case. One party is simply wrong. uh, Or if you try to come up with a compromise, you know, it's like a compromise between a submarine and an airplane. Half a submarine, half an airplane can either dive nor it can fly, right? Better off choosing one or the other. So for us, we develop a set of guiding principles that basically tell us how exactly we're going to resolve our disagreements. And those centered around... To the to the implementer go, goes the benefit the out then um, you know we have plus mi- uh, plus one minus one zero system very similar to open source projects but here we basically consider minus ones to be blockers And if you're a blocker, it happens very rarely you should be zero or one and a lot of times people are really don't want to block they just want to say they're a piece and they they don't want to block but a lot of times if you don't make it specific, then it seems like a blocking, you know, a blocking statement or a blocking comment. So a lot of times we just basically we get together, just like anybody else. We we state the opinions, you know. We know who's going to be implementing it, so the benefit of the doubt goes there. We also know we're sales driven company, so sales ha- has the voice number one, and then mm-hmm. CS gets voice number two because those are the two legs of the business. Then there is product and forums with all the product decisioning in terms of market research and what we get. And this is basically how we resolve it. Now, if you want to block a particular decision, then you you must have two things. One is you need to be prepared to take the execution onto yourself. That's, oh. that's one. Number two, you have to show, and which is always difficult because you're basically talking about events that hasn't yet happened. You have to show that things are not going to work and not just say... well they might not work you actually have to show and that's pretty tough right Mm. usually you can show that things are not going to work either we have tried it in the past or there's just very few instances where it's just obvious right And you're just really missing something so this is how we this is how we run the business Mm. so i love how you're
0: i love how you equate culture to action and also how really it's about conflict resolution. That's right. What are you doing as CTO to encourage a civil discourse with uh, the zeros and the plus ones, um, since the minus ones don't really happen that often, um, especially when you're working with... Engin- Is your engineering team remote or local? Or So
1: we have, we have a combination. We have a local engineering team in California. We also have people... Uh, we have half the team... Split up between um, between New Zealand and Eastern Europe. We're basically covering more or less twenty four hours. There's always somebody on. And is
0: New Zealand was that a strategic time zone choice?
1: Um, it was one. It was one of the choices around the time zone. Uh, but it uh, also was a couple of people that I worked with in the past, and and one specific person. And we just kind of built the extension of the company around wow, cool. around him. So. As as you know, you basically you find you find good people and people. and they and they follow you. What city are they in? Uh, they're in Auckland.
0: Auckland, okay. New Zealand's my next destination, man.
1: You must go. It's it's wonderful.
0: My brother in law is moving there. I feel a little jealous.
1: You know, people started building doomsday shelters. As long as you're uh, you're not planning to do that, because you know they had a legislation about that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Peter Thiel, I think he, he yes. spoiled the. Yes. You know he he screwed the pooch. <laughs>
0: the uh, the the thing about New Zealand is, as a South African, we have a, a very hectic sports rivalry with them, but it is respectful. Yeah. So I I can't say these words, so I won't. But I respect them.
1: So it's the it's- It's the spring spring box versus the um, The old blacks, blacks, right? See? You say Americans don't know anything about the the rest of the world. I I consider you Ukrainian. There you go. Do you still speak the language? (laughs) I do. I do. I I speak Ukrainian. I speak Russian. And, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I've been there for quite some time. Do you have kids? I do. I have three kids. Are you teaching them the language? Yeah, that's uh, you know, we consider that to be a competitive advantage. <laughs> <laughs> do you, being do you, uh, being bilingual or the actual Ukrainian? Uh, being uh being bilingual, so they wow. they haven't learned Ukrainian. They learned Russian, but they're and also they're they're learning Hebrew. So it's you know it's it's certainly and wow. Spanish. So wow. there's uh there's definitely a yeah all <laughs> of the kids. Uh, my oldest one is fifteen, and then we have uh, almost thirteen and almost eleven.
0: And have they demonstrated mastery of these languages? They have. That's amazing.
1: They they certainly have. So
0: it's a combination of the language spoken spoken at home,
1: language spoken at home, and also uh, having separate, going into separate, uh, taking separate classes, going to separate schools. It's, uh, but I I feel uh, just absolute advantage to have and just enriches your world and uh, just makes you a better communicator
0: according to duolingo i am four percent fluent in spanish four percent
1: fluent well it's uh you know it's better than zero percent it, it, it used to be
0: zero <laughs> that's right i am learning so my kids are in a spanish immersion school uh i tried really hard to teach my kids afrikaans which is my mother language yeah, I'm But I'm it's sure a dying it's language. Tough. I'm I sure mean, it's, it's tough. There's not a, like a lot of people. two million people who speak
1: it now. Yeah, Afrikaans. Sing and, um,
0: but my wife, who is South African, doesn't speak Afrikaans. So our home language is yeah, English. It, and yeah, so it was, a, pretty it was tough. a losing battle. Yeah. So now we have them in a Spanish immersion school. and But now I have to learn Spanish.
1: That's right. That's how it works. Danny has do, to step are up. Are you able to get your children? What language do they speak to each other? Um. They speak English to each other, but we insist when they're at home they um they speak they speak Russian. Um at least so they you know to th- each they other. can converse. Yes, they can converse. And it's how, pretty su- tough. how successful are it's, you it's in- uh, you know, it's a touch and go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I grew up in Afrikaans household and my parents just laid down the law and said we will now speak English to each other going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think Getting your children to converse in sort of the destination Whatever language, language right. I think is supremely powerful.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. And again, it's just easier for them to, obviously, because they're Americans, it's easy for them to converse in English. But we insist and they, you know, they sometimes they, they do, sometimes they don't. <laughs> when we're not looking, we don't know what's going on.
0: <laughs> so uh, I love the story you told me about your kids' asking you about what Raken does right. and if it would give you a special ability. Why don't that's, you tell me that?
1: That's right. So when when I just started uh, working uh, for Raken, my kids asked me, what, is, what does the company do? And I, I explained it to them the best I possibly could. And they were like, okay, so you're going to be building things. I'm like, no, not exactly. And so they're... And uh, they go, so we're not getting that, uh, that treehouse that you promised. Them. I'm like, well, maybe maybe not now. So they lost interest. But then I told them that uh, um, I'm working next to GoPro. And they're like, oh, Uh-oh. GoPro. Uh, so they're, they're big fans.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if they're watching those treehouse shows, I mean, none of us can win that battle.
1: No, none of us can. So the expectations are set too high. I won't be able to build anything like that. So I think that's, uh you know, that's bigger than my first apartment. <laughs> I do know
0: a lot of CTOs who are into woodwork, though. I that's think right. the joy of crafting something with your hands if you live in this sort of virtual world.
1: If if I wasn't doing this um, and, you know, being busy and keeping busy all the time and studying and mentoring, I, I'd probably be doing some woodwork. I just I, I love that. I just never have time to do it. I know,
0: I know. So, are you involved in any other? Are you advising? You say you're advising.
1: I'm. I'm mostly mentoring. Okay. So, mentoring through various incubators and accelerators. And you and mentioned Google speaking. as
0: one of them. That's right. And how does that work? How does that happen?
1: Google has. Um. I got invited. So they they found me founder of the Launchpad incubator inside of Google. Invited me for the first for the first cohort, and I just uh, and I kept getting invited. So must be doing something right. And uh, there's. So It started out as a single day, almost like a startup weekend, but it originated in Israel and just kind of made its way across the across the world, and uh, eventually Google picked it up, and uh, now Google does. Uh, they do global um, Launchpad incubator where they have. Um, they go into in countries where Google is, and they do um, they do boot camps there, and and what they call Launchpad Studio that's uh focused more on machine learning and they also do a global one which they they bring companies from emerging markets into San Francisco for two week immersion and then overall program is about 6 months
0: and do you think that all CTOs should should mentor like, like I, I,
1: absolutely, I absolutely think so. Now, if I was just simply uh, mentoring on the technology side, I, I don't think they would give as much to the companies and it would not give as much to me. But, you know, if I can diversify into both product and marketing and sales, I, I, can, I can pretty much speak to and, and uh, help companies across the board this really, really helps. It helps the companies, but it also helps me to uh, keep track of what's going on in the market. Because mm. solving real problems, is this is where you get practical knowledge mm. as opposed to a book knowledge.
0: And uh, the company that you sold to Capital One, can you tell us about that?
1: The uh, company was called Pushpoint. It got, uh, it got founded in San Francisco and we sold it to Capital One. Um, it was a marketing platform. It was originally integrated into a point of sales um, as a, as an offer management system. So basically, think of yourself as a small business. You're selling you're selling donuts, right? And uh, all of a sudden, you uh, you know you geofenced um, somebody who comes to your um, to your store all the time. They come in with a coupon. They scan it under the camera, and they get a discount. So this was an offer that you could create in the back of the in the back of the point of sale system. The tablet would be tablet or any other system where we would be integrated into. And eventually, it got uh, it it grown into a full um, marketing platform where you could do not just offers, but you could you could you could viral it out and, and do uh, Facebook campaigns and, and display campaigns and Google search campaigns and and whatnot. And uh, um, Capital One picked it up. So, um, good question would be like, well, why do they need it? It's a bank. Why do they need a marketing system? Now, if you look at Capital, uh, if you look at Capital One, Capital One has quite a few. I think they have ten million small businesses. So they need to offer them something besides the mm-hmm. checking account. So mm-hmm. the they started offering an entire e-commerce suite, which is business in the box. So if you're brick and brick and mortar or your online business, you would have a component where you could you could have a point of sales and you would have an e-commerce website and you would have and you would have a checking account.
0: And did you go through a post acquisition blues?
1: I I did. I certainly did. Um my first week at Capital One, I think I spent more time in meetings than I did uh my entire time at Pushpoint. And we're certainly more productive, right? So at links uh from the from your customers allowed for us to be freer and execute quicker and didn't have to get as many approvals now as capital one you know as banks go, capital one is up there with the best of them um but still it's a bank right so the their number one responsibility to make sure that nothing bad happens and we don't we don't mess the trust of our customers because you know you're dealing with money and uh, if you lose the trust then, mm. then you you lost mm.
0: and so what about so, so i guess because you had an earn out and you walked right into you basically were able to babysit your product into the integration phase into right. capital one
1: that's right i have
0: yeah so i guess that helps with the the goodbyes
1: it does help with the goodbyes and you know you have a sense of abandonment but uh you know, you're not that you've been abandoned, but you're abandoning <laughs> something no, that true. you really cared about for for a long time. But uh, such is life. Right? I
0: uh, I had an exit where I literally the day after I was out, right? And I don't think that's the best way. To, I mean, I'm thankful I didn't even have an earnout, but wow, man, I I still think about my my baby. Yeah,
1: and you want to call them and like, can I work for you for free? Can I can I find <laughs> out what's what's happening? It's it just sort of you know it's the question would we be doing what we're doing i i tell my kids if i had 10 billion dollars i'd be doing exactly Probably. the same thing what yeah. i'm doing it's just nothing would change cuz i believe that it's just you know people who do it well they have a need to do it right so that's just one of those one of those things it's just very difficult to kind of develop it over time you either have it or you don't oh. so uh, as we as we sort of
0: end off i do want to uh, touch on to the you kind of mentioned to me that the startup formula there's this four or five principles that you've learned in your journey and I'd love for you to kind of walk me through those if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. So, number again, I I don't I don't have them in order of priority, so there there's there isn't specifically the one that's number 1 and then number 5. I think all of them are important. So, I I would want to start out with um success is the worst teacher of success and the you know you see it all the time uh where people say well hey your competitors are doing something there you should go copy or hey this company was successful and uh, you should just emulate what they do uh google does 20 percent of you know work on whatever you want for for its employees but uh that would not work for every company. Mm. You need to understand that uh, what the company does and what makes it successful is just kinda it's part of that omelet, right? It's just yeah, very yeah. difficult to pick onions it's on context, out of the It's, it has it's I- exactly the right. If if you're gonna if you're gonna emulate everybody, then then you likely are gonna fail. So again, in my view, success is the worst teacher okay. of success. It's actually failure has a lot more to teach us than than success does. So that's one. Number two, I felt initially that that without a business degree, I just can't start a business. Um and so much so that I went and gotten a PhD in business. Now, I can not say PhD didn't help me understand business. It did, but it didn't help me understand startups. Because the startups startups is not an expert field. It's an experiential field. You need to go and experience it. That's going to be your education. So that's that's number two. Number three. Um, idea of a minimal viable product and, um, and also idea of you need to come up with something that's super duper original in order for you to be able to um, have a startup that's amazingly successful. And usually it's the opposite. Mm. So there's a concept of adjacent possible. So the closer you are and you're, if you're on the rims of adjacent possible, um, which is basically something close to the existing products. You're likely to be more successful if you're coming up with something totally original. You also, in addition to all the startups' problems, you also need to build a market, mm. and that takes mm. and that takes quite a bit. Was of time. that called adjacent? Adjacent possible. Mm. So there, there, it's, it's basically something is already possible, but something adjacent to it is called adjacent possible. Mm. So it's a small extension. Because then you
0: don't have to go and create the market. You, you just know, have to do something you better. You just have
1: to do something slightly better. Now no, think about adjacent impossible would be like a space elevator. You know, we know what an elevator is, but we, you know, we would need to invent 100 million things in order for a space elevator to work, right?
0: Oh, man. I guess I'm going to kill that idea.
1: I, I guess that might I guess that might not work.
0: What about a fresh fish vending machine?
1: You know, you, uh, you you're good for the first three hours. So your startup <laughs> is guaranteed not to fail the first, the three, first three, hours. three hours. But then you know you might be uh, you might be in trouble.
0: I think that is uh, that's part of the challenge is when a founder lives in that first three hours. That's and right. They conv- And they they convince themselves. And they go to all the meetups and they go all to these, to these, all these, these um, founding schools, but they're still only in the first three hours. That's right. And they purposely don't go beyond that because beyond that, there is the cold hard truth. Yeah,
1: that's right. Beyond that is disappointment. And, you know, none of us, none of us want to. So it's an avoidance strategy. It's, uh, but at the, at the end of the day, you just can't. You know, you you either gonna get customers or you won't. You, those customers either will pay you money or they won't. Right. So I think that's that's ultimately gonna be the task.
0: And you you also said something that I found really interesting was to help reframe uh, a founder's I have a idea for a product. That's right. And you reframed it in a brilliant way. Yeah,
1: the way the way I'm I'm looking at it, so when when founders ask me if they tell me about the idea and they say, is this idea going to work? And I, bas- I I asked him, I put the, I, I turn this around and I say, is idea even clear enough for it to work, right? Is the solution, it's the idea and the solution clear enough where it has a chance of working? A lot of times you just, you get things which are too vague, they're mm. not well-defined and there, you know, there's a lot of ands mm. in it. You can do this and this and this and mm. this. Usually that, that's an indication mm. that it's just not Or, or, work.
0: or is the problem well-defined
1: enough? Is the problem
0: well-defined enough? Be blinded. Is there clarity? Yeah, you can be blinded by, I have a solution. solution and looking I have an idea of the problem, but I, the problem isn't clear.
1: That's right. Problem is not, is not really clear, is not well-defined. When the problem is clear... Half of the solution to that problem is, is already is already there. An
0: interesting experience I had with that was I had this brilliant idea of helping homeowners associations, mm-hmm. and I thought that the problem was how do we route issues to the right people. That's right. And and great, I created a mobile app. I created a backend. I created a little bit of uh, AI for image recognition and classification, and um. And great I had the prototype and and then I realized I I had no idea what the problem was. Problem wasn't that I didn't that issues weren't being routed correctly. The problem was no one wanted to f- deal with the issues. That's right. So all I did was I created something that poured fuel onto a fire and it didn't actually help distinguish the fire. Yeah,
1: and didn't solve the and, problem. And subsequently
0: I can't stand HOAs right now. <laughs>
1: One of, the, one of the interesting things, and this I see this from, from technical co-founders all the time, it's the people cling to what they know, and they know the best, and so developers develop, and so they start developing.
0: That is exactly what I do. Where were you when I needed that advice?
1: That's right. You just have to find me. How
0: do, how do, you, how do, you, bride, how do you bridle those technical co-founders who just... I had a long conversation with the founder yesterday... And I felt like the whole time I was just saying, resist the urge to go Mm -hmm. and build this thing. You have to use Zapier and Google Sheets and Typeforms and just go do that and build the real business and the technical solution will reveal itself. Mm -hmm. But they all come thinking, I have a technical startup. I want to build a SaaS company. So I have to have a technical solution. Well I feel like that is 10% of the problem.
1: So if you look at the if you look at the value that's been delivered in the company then um scalable platform and IP that's going to get built it's going to be beyond the point where you are going to beyond the point you're going to die if you don't have money. So in order for you to get the money you need to you need to fake it until you make it. You need to fake it until you become it. And becoming the part it's the building part, it's the scaling part. So you can't can jump into that into that portion, and technical people tend to do that because if they don't, then why are they there? So I think that's why understanding that you you need to if you are a technical co-founder. You need to know, love, and understand the product. Mm. You need to go and learn the market. Mm. You need to know the people you're building the solutions mm. for. So you should shouldn't think of yourself in technical terms. So you should you should think of yourself in product and market. I terms. love
0: it. And and one of the key tenants that I sort of help CTOs with is the timing issue like it's all about timing like you need to understand the market understand your budget your fund to know when to solve which problem and how is it going to what is the least amount of friction you can you will have if i insert it now versus next year versus you know 5 years from now
1: yeah it's the difference between building a half a boat versus building a smaller boat so you need to first concentrate on building a smaller boat Half a boat is not going to help you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love that. Is that a, an analogy from a different language?
1: Nope. Oh, oh, that's man. The, uh, maybe it is, but, uh, you know, that's sort of how I think of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love talking to people who have uh, idiom, idioms from other languages and then they translate it, it and, and it's, it's profound. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, so, okay, that's how it is. So tracking through the list of um, principles, you also say that raising too much money
1: That's right. That's the lost that's the lost component of it. Um with my first startup we raised way too much money and uh, this was again usually on your first startup you make all kinds of mistakes and and I thought I was going to make a lot less of them because because I already had a PhD but that didn't help, right? So uh, we raised too much money and bought other companies and went far and wide without the focus and so made every possible mistake. And and again, raising raising money, you sort of, when you keep raising money, you keep thinking that, that that's going to go on forever. That's one. Number two, if people keep giving you money, there must be something good that you're doing, which is which is all all misleading mm. and all self-defeating. It
0: can, can give you a false sense of... Yeah, false sense the...
1: that you're doing well, right? Then you kind of realize, well, I'm not in the business of building yeah. the product. I'm yeah. in the business of raising money from investors. Convincing people around. Yeah, <laughs> and, to that's to a, and
0: that's a... Um, and that seems to be the universal high five: is I raised X millions of dollars.
1: You know, um, I I don't remember who said that, but congratulating a founder with raising money it's similar to congratulating a chef and, um, with buying <laughs> ingredients, ingredients <laughs> right? It's uh, you bought some tomatoes. Oh, great! <laughs> but my tomatoes are from Italy. That's right; they're the best tomatoes. They're and then what
0: about? Um, you mentioned something about being mentally fit.
1: Um uh, that that's another thing i i'm not sure what number that is but um, that's number ha- five that that would be number five i guess and uh being physically and mentally fit and is one of the key things you could do for for uh, your startup success because as a founder it just it's easy to run yourself rugged mm. it's uh you know 80 hour weeks and mm. uh it's constant stress it's constant stress from you know the stress you, know, stress you put on yourself and pressure you put on yourself and pressure from the board and the pressure from everybody you know and uh, to be more successful than you really are and it's just all those pressures they they uh, they can crush you and so you need to be you need to be physically and mentally fit in order for you to uh, to run a successful mm. and so
0: personally what do you do do you
1: i i i work out i i swim <clears> I, <throat> I i do a number of different things um because sports mm. i i feel it just uh, takes away a lot mm. of that stress mm. and and I read a lot and I have lots of interest outside of technology. I think that's just kind of keeps my brain fresh. And I also continue to study. Mm. It's just one of those things that kind of keeps me, keeps me grounded. There's more stuff and to learn. And you're
0: raising three kids.
1: That's right. Well, kids keep me grounded too. So it's just, they're talking about the strain on, uh, on mental health. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have three and uh, goodness gracious...
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we we just, uh, we broke the cardinal rule of uh, having kids. It's uh, don't get outnumbered.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the issue for me is the intra-contention.
1: That's right. So to me, three, it's a perfect idiom to uh, having three kids. It's the same thing as the stages you go through as a manager. You first... You first hire one person, and then there's a dynamic between you and that person. Then you hire two people, and then there's a dynamic between those two people and you. And then there is, you, you hire three people, and then there's... <laughs> Off the charts. And chance. then there's the dynamic... The combinations you, are the, limitless. The, 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 that's exactly right. Well,
0: technically it's finite, but wow, it certainly it's definitely, feels... It's
1: definitely finite, but to me, <laughs> if you to, if you can manage 3,000... Three people, you can manage 3,000. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, uh, briefly, I have I a have couple friends who have many kids... Six plus and independent verification here that the hardest number was from two to three.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, they so like I after that, it's like six, that's, seven, eight, who cares? Yeah, that's that's right. And they they start to take care of each other, and plus the dynamics don't change. There's still going to be some camps, and there's uh, you know, kids are going to uh, be ganging up on each other. It's just doubt. So, uh,
0: to end off, what you are. N- Neatly positioned in Carlsbad uh, callsbad and o c to kind of have a a take on the SoCal vibe tech vibe do you have any observations uh l a versus I san d- diego I,
1: I certainly i certainly do a, not necessarily between l a and san diego uh you would you know if you if you look at the large markets with the startups you have obviously silicon valley and it's difficult to touch that and then then you have uh, LA, which definitely has tipped with Silicon, Silicon Beach in 20, 2011 or there, thereabouts. And San Diego is another area which, which I feel is going to tip. Uh, the, investment, the investment has doubled from the last year. I think this year has been $2.9 billion, and a uh, year prior it was $1.5. So I feel that's another area that's going to tip. But I feel that SoCal. Um, startup ecosystem it's much healthier than silicon valley you don't see a lot of that incestuous thing Mm. that that you do in silicon valley and uh, it's just a lot easier to hire and there's a lot less entitlement so my my take on the ecosystem it's much healthier
0: Mm, great well this was amazing
1: thank you so much for having me this
0: was amazing thank you thank you so much cheers man
1: thank you have you chatted with a cto
0: lately Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to the CTOstudio.com for more information on what we're doing at seven CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.